This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Quiet, Please was a radio fantasy and horror program created by Willis Cooper, also known for creating Lights Out. Ernest Chappelle was the show's announcer and lead actor. Quiet, Please debuted June 8th of 1947 on the Mutual Broadcasting System, and its last episode was broadcast June 25th of 1949. A total of 106 shows were broadcast. Earning relatively little notice during its initial run, Quiet, Please has since been praised as one of the finest efforts of the Golden Age of Radio programs. Professor Richard J. Hand of the University of Glamorgan, in a detailed critical analysis of the series, argued that Cooper and Chappelle created works of astonishing originality. He further described the program as an extraordinary body of work, which established Cooper as, quote, one of the greatest auteurs of horror radio. Similarly, radio historian Ron Lackman declared that the episodes were exceptionally well-written and outstandingly acted, while John Dunning describes the show as a potent series bristling with rich imagination. High praise indeed. Well, let's find out if you'll agree with the critics as we hear the episode of Quiet, Please, one for the book. Quiet, please. The American Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, please, for today is called One for the Book. Once upon a time when there were more lieutenants than lieutenant colonels in the Air Force, and when you could tell a cadet by his blue suit like a mailman's, a thing happened. And if you think the boys from the bright blue yonder got snafu'd sometime in this last war, brother, I'm here to tell you you ain't seen nothing yet. Because this was the largest, the most comprehensive, the doggondest. <laughs> well, I have to tell you. And the thing about it is, this snafu isn't over yet. It won't be over for nine years. Listen, I'll tell you. <laughs> Ever hear of Muroc Dry Lake? Well, you go out San Fernando Road and you turn off at Fremont Pass onto 6 instead of going up over the ridge route. You go up through Mint Canyon, see, and on through Palmdale and Lancaster. And then you take a road off to the right by the SP station. 
After about 40 miles of Joshua trees, you get to Muroc, and a big, tough MP tells you, turn around, go back where you came from. Because that's where they got the jets. Where guys are ringing them out so fast, they sometimes get where they're going before they've started. And they tore up the welcome mat a long time ago. But back in the early part of 1937, well, it was kind of different. Muroc, which incidentally is not an Indian name, it's just the name Coram spelled backwards like on the radio. Coram Brothers was ranchers that owned a joint. And it's just what you think it is, the bottom of an old dried up lake. It's flat as a billiard table. Flatter than the one in the officer's club at Maxwell. And back in those days, you could take your car out in the middle and open her up to 80 and sit back and watch. Look, Mama, no hands. Hmm, which was quite a lot of fun, though. Some newspaper guy blew a tire and did 108 snap rolls with it. With the customary results. Well, it ain't like that today. I mean, the lake's still there, but it isn't a lonesome place anymore. The lobo wolves and the coyotes and the rattlesnakes and the roadrunners have scrammed. They got an installation there that... Well, never mind. You're not going to see it, but it's a biggie. And the lake itself is about the biggest landing field in the world. You could set down anywhere, practically. Well, the Air Corps decided back in 1937 to have them a big air maneuvers there at Muroc. So in came about everything they had that could fly. Martin B-10Bs from Langley, P-26s from Selvage and Maxwell Randolph. A bunch of skinny blue things they call PB-2As that came from... I don't have any idea. And over at Marchfield at Riverside, they had a flock of A-17s, attack jobs, two-seaters at north of me. They had holes in their flaps, I remember. First ones to have holes in their flaps. And there was a lot of other miscellaneous stuff. It was quite colorful. P-26s painted OD. The bombers black and yellow. They all had yellow wings. The PB-2As were blue and the A-17s shiny Doral. Everybody had the red and white stripes on the rudder and the big old white star and the blue circle on the wings. All 300 of them. All we had, practically, in 1937. And anti-aircraft. Complete with the 1937 version of radar, a cluster of big horns on a trailer with a guy wearing earphones in the middle of them. We couldn't spit half a mile away if the horns was pointed at you on account of you bust the guy's eardrum. And there was a bunch of movie guys taking pictures. They had plenty of expense money. They didn't shoot crap so good. So, one way and another, it was quite a thing. And, brother, it was hot. Yeah, it still is. It'd get down to 40 or 50 in the early morning, and by noon it was up to 115 with the sun bouncing off that white lake bottom and mirages everywhere you looked. Well, I was a crew chief in a P-26 squadron from Selbridge, see... Oh, excuse me, I didn't introduce myself. Westlake's my name. Max Westlake, Captain USAF. I was a staff sergeant in 1937. Up there at Muroc, I got acquainted with a guy. <laughs> of all things, a sergeant in an anti-aircraft outfit named Bill Carrant. And I remember how this snafu started. Bill and I were sitting in a bar in Lancaster one Saturday, drinking beer, listening to Pancho Barnes, God rest her soul, telling about buzzing a church steeple in Long Beach and a Jenny. And a couple of elements of B-10Bs went over. Bill Carrant, he said he'd buy another beer. I'll buy another beer, Max. Uh, I'm going out and sit on the porch and read. Read? What do you want to read for when you can drink beer? Free beer. Well, I found a couple of magazines. Let's see. Uh, go on, drink your beer. Super Science Stories. 
miraculous stories. You like that kind of junk? Well, what if I do? A lot of hooey. No, they're not. Guys flying rockets and taking off for the moon and malarkey like that. Yeah? Listen, in 20 years, the stuff in these books will be ancient history. What do you mean? In 20 years, people will be flying rockets. In 20 years, they'll be writing the same kind of guck, and people will be flying old-fashioned airplanes, but, and we'll be shooting them down. You wait and see. Yeah. In another 20 years, airplanes, rocket planes, will be going so fast you won't be able to see them, much less shoot them down. How fast? Couple thousand miles an hour. A guy couldn't fly that fast. Why couldn't he? Well, he'd he'd outrun himself. <laughs> he'd come in for a landing, and fifteen minutes later, you'd hear him. You can fly as fast as sound. You're nuts. Well, a bullet flies faster than sound. But there ain't anybody riding it. Well, they get a big enough bullet, somebody'll ride her. Bring me another beer. They get me one, I'll fly it. You'd feel pretty funny starting out someplace on Saturday and getting there on Friday afternoon. Yeah, well, listen, it'll happen. In the magazines. These magazines told a lot of things that have come true, Bill. For instance? Well, I couldn't give you an instance right now, but they have. <laughs> I'll take beer. Yeah, you watch and see. One of these days I'll come bouncing in someplace in one of these rocket jobs and you'll be right... I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll kiss your foot at high noon right in front of everybody. Now, you want a beer? You're going to sit there reading about buzzing the man in the moon in a skyrocket. Or what? I did both. Then we bummed a ride back to the lake after a while, and I went to bed. Bill Carrant was pretty disgusted when he got there and found out he had to stand guard because the sergeant that was supposed to be had broke out with the measles. And he put on his overcoat and stopped by my tent for a cigarette before he went off where it was cold. We talked, and he left, and I went to sleep. Well, I woke up in the middle of the night, see. I couldn't get back to sleep. So I got up and put on my pants and shoes and a flying jacket. I went out to the anti-aircraft battery. I said, hey, Carrant. Hey, Bill Carrant. Who's that? Me. Westlake, Max Westlake. What are you doing up? I couldn't sleep. Well, I wish I could. I'm about froze. How much longer you got? Oh, half an hour. Wouldn't have a bottle, would you? Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> Gee. Pretty night, ain't it? I'll give it to you. Mm. Millions of stars. Yeah. Ever fly at night, Bill? And I ain't going to. I ain't going to fly at all. That's well up there with the stars. I'll stay here. I wonder what's up there. I got no curiosity at all. Yeah. I'm going to find out some one day. In your skyrocket? Probably. What was that? Search me. Sounded like it came from up there. Probably one of your skyrockets. Well, I don't think there's anybody up tonight. I don't see anything. I wonder what it... Hey. What? Look up there. Where? Right there, by the Big Dipper. What is it? I don't see anything. Say, you know what that is? That's a parachute. 
Right. Say, that's what it is. Tony, that's the biggest parachute. There goes the searchlight. They saw it over at A battery. Gosh, that is a big one. Yeah. Wonder who it is. That's a funny looking thing. Looks like a box or something. It looks like part of an airplane. There goes the crash truck. I didn't see any airplane, Bill. Maybe it was one of your skyrockets. Oh, shut up. Give me your field glasses. He's going to hit awful hard. Give me the glasses. Oh! Oh, he sure did. Yeah, that's part of an airplane, Bill. They're pulling a guy out of it. In some kind of funny suit. What? Soup and fish? That's it's kind of like a diver's suit. Kind of like a, a space flyer's suit. I know where he came from. Well, where? He bailed out of Goofy Stories magazine. I handed back the glasses to Bill Carrot and I walked over to the infirmary. That's where they'd take whoever he was, I figured. And in a minute, the crash wagon came back and they carried the fella in. I sat there a minute to talk to Daniel Webster, the medic that had the duty. They were fussing around with the fella inside the ward, the doc and everybody. I sat there talking. There was a piece of metal lying on a stretcher that one of the medics had picked up where the thing crashed. I looked at it. U.S. Air Force, it was stenciled on it. U.S. Air Force and a number and XF-131. What's XF-131 mean, I said. Why, I said to myself, U.S. Air Force. This is the Army Air Corps. What's the U.S. Air Force? Something new? And what's XF-131? I know what a P-26 is and a PB-2A and a B-10B, but what's a, an XF-131? And then the doctor called me. I stood up, surprised. Sergeant Westlake, come in here. Sir? I said come in here. Yes, sir. In here. Yes, sir. Ever see that man before? Why, no, sir. Sure? Well, he looks kind of familiar, but is he, uh, uh... He's got a slight concussion, and I've given him a shot. Who is he, sir? Is he from here? You don't know him? Why, no, sir, but I... He sure looks familiar, but... What's your first name, Sergeant? Sir? Your first name. Oh, Max. Huh. What's the matter, sir? Sergeant, that man's name is Max Westlake, too. Huh? Only he's a major in the United States Air Force. What do you make of that, Sergeant? Hey? you have made of it. I looked at the guy more carefully. And then I saw why he looked familiar. I'd seen that puss in the mirror every morning for 22 years. There was the scar on the eyebrow where I drove the car into the lamppost. Only it was on the wrong eyebrow. Then I remembered I wasn't looking into a mirror. I said, Doc, I don't get it. He said, don't you? And I said, well, sir... So I went out. And just as I was going out of the tent, in walks Bill Carrant. 
And I must have looked funny because Bill grabbed me by the arm. What's the matter with you, Max? Huh? Well, you look as if you... Uh, wait a minute, Bill. I think I've got something figured out. What are you doing for the love of... I'm taking off my shoes, Sergeant Garrett. What for? Well, it's not exactly high noon, Sergeant. But you're going to kiss my foot just the same. Huh? That's right. Why? Because, but... Sergeant Carrot, that guy in there, that that guy that flew in here in a skyrocket, that major in there, is me. And so the snafu began. I got called over to the colonel's tent right after breakfast. He was sitting there with the doctor. They looked up when I get my heels pretty close together and placed my hand, fingers extended and joined against my right eyebrow. Sit down, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Uh, the doctor tells me this fellow who bailed out last night has the same name you have. Yes, sir. Looks a lot like you, too, Sergeant. You know him, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Said last night you didn't. Well, I got it all straightened out in my mind now, sir. Well... He's me, sir. Sergeant, have you lost your buttons? No, sir, I don't think so, sir. Say that again, Sergeant. Sir, I said, no, I don't think so. No, what you said before. Oh. He's me, sir. Cross your knees, Sergeant. Sir? Cross your knees. Yes, sir. Ow! Reflexes are all right. Sergeant, do you mind explaining what you're trying to give us? I've got a tactical program on this morning, and I... Go ahead, Sergeant. Well, sir, it's perfectly simple. The aviation is progressing, sir. So what? Well, sir, it's perfectly simple. This Major Westlake, who is me, <laughs> flew in in something like a rocket plane or something quite a long time in the future. You understand, sir? Go ahead, Sergeant. And he flew so fast, he... Well, he just got here before he started, sir. Sergeant. Sir? Nothing. Go on. Well, sir, that, that's all there is. Sometime I'll be a major like he is. Uh, I mean, like I am. Not, not, oh, what do I mean? I mean, if he's me, I, I'm a major. Uh, but I'm still a sergeant. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be a major and I'll take off. And when I get here, I mean, when I got here, I, I'm still a sergeant. Sergeant, please. My head hurts. I'm sorry, sir, but, but that's what happened, sir. Somebody around here is crazy. Oh, no, sir, not me. Uh, let's try that again, shall we? What, sir? Your theory. I just want to be sure I'm not hearing things, Doctor. Well, if you're hearing them, so am I. Go on, son. Well, sir, some day in the future, I'm going to be a major. You're not if... Well, never mind. Yes, sir. So, someday I'm going to be a major, see, and I'm going to fly a rocket plane or something. How do you know all this, Sergeant? You got a crystal ball? No, sir. It's obvious, ain't it, sir? Not to me. You, Doctor? Well, you're going to be a major, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I must be. I'm over there in the tent, ain't I, Doctor? Uh-huh. And I'm a major, ain't I? You see? Sir? And someday when I'm a major, sir, I'm going to get into this rocket plane, see, and boom, I'm going to take off and I'm going to go so fast. Gosh, I sure must have been rolling last night. 
Sergeant, you must want to get out of the army awful bad. Sir, me? No, sir, I don't want to get out of the army. What makes the colonel think that? Well, if I ever heard of anybody asking for a transfer to the loony bin, this is it. Sir, I assure the colonel I am not nuts. Well, then, why the dickens are you telling me all this? Sir, the colonel asked me. Okay, go on. You were taking off in a rocket ship. Or something like that, sir. Boom, like I said, I go so fast that I just run out of time and I landed last night. You believe that, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Uh, where did you, uh, I mean, how did you fall on this, this theory? Well, sir, I read science fiction magazines and... Ah, you do. And I just deduced it. Oh. Sir, rocket travel is perfectly possible. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting theory. Doctor, are you nuts too? I'm really not sure, Colonel. Well, what are you talking about then? I was just looking at this identification card I took out of the, uh, Major Westlake's pocket. What about it? It's, uh, dated November 24th, 1951. Fifteen years from now. Snafu and snafu and snafu. The colonel... He didn't have any guardhouse or anything. He confined me to my tent. That is, he confined Sergeant Max Westlake to my tent. Major Max Westlake was still out like a light. He, he couldn't talk. And me, I didn't have anybody to talk to, but I thought. And the harder I thought, the surer I was I was right. And the second day I was in there, the colonel came to my tent and he looked about 18 years older. I stood up. Rest, Sergeant. Now, listen, I had the doctor take that, uh, that major's fingerprints. And I flew them to Washington to be looked up in the big file. Yes, sir. The dope came back this morning. Yes, sir. I'll read you what they say. Uh, the subject fingerprints are those of Staff Sergeant Max Westlake. And so forth and so forth. There is no record of a Major Max Westlake in the Army Air Corps. By direction, so forth and so forth. Well, yes, sir, that's the way I figured it. Westlake, if you're running a Sandy on me... Not end, running a Sandy, sir. Come with me. Where are we going, sir? Right into the infirmary tent. Yes, sir. Now then, you sit here behind this canvas wall and you listen to that fellow talk. And don't say a word. Just nod your head if he's right, or shake it if he's wrong. Hear me? Yes, sir. All right, listen. Major, where did you come from? Here at Murak, sir. What outfit are you with? I'm chief test pilot here. I see. And what happened, do you know? Yes, sir. I was flying an XF-131. That's the newest experimental rocket job. At a speed of about max seven. Uh, what, what are you talking seven, about? Sir, seven times the speed of sound. Uh, what the? Suddenly, the, the needle flew way over beyond the mark. I got scared, pushed the automatic cockpit release, and bailed out. And um, how fast do you think you were going then? Well, 
I should say about 12 times the speed of sound. I see. And uh, what was the date of your takeoff, Major? Why, December 21st, 1957. Now, look here. You see? You, you, you see, Colonel? You see? Snafu. Wow. Tafu. Fubar. The Army never saw one like this before. They sent us to the general. Yeah, sit down, gentlemen. Yes, yes sir. Now, Westlake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Your brothers? No, sir. No, sir. Now, just a minute. Uh, uh, just a minute, I mean. Uh, Westlake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Stop. Yes, sir. <coughs> yes, sir. Sergeant Westlake? Yes, sir. Who is this Major Westlake? He's me, sir. Sergeant, I... we can't prove otherwise, General. That will do, Colonel. Yes, sir. Now, Major Westlake, who is this sergeant? Sir, I don't know. Well, isn't he your brother? No, sir. Well, who is he then? Answer me. Sir, I think he's me. Doctor, are these men crazy? Not as far as I can tell, sir. Well, what ails them then? Sir, I just work here. Well, now, uh, Major, how come I don't know you? Well, that I couldn't say, sir. I don't know the general either. Young man, I have been in the Army 28 years. Yes, sir. At 29. I was at Bliss with Lord George Langren when he had the 8th Cavalry. Yes, sir. And I know thousands of officers in the Army. Yes, sir. But I don't know you. No, sir. Young man, do you know the penalty for impersonating an officer? Sir, I'm not impersonating an officer. Here's his identification card, General. <laughs> Is that your picture, Major? Yes, sir. And doesn't look like you. Well, sir, these pictures never look like the people. Yeah, that's right. Mine looks like a... Well, this seems to be an order, all right. It is, sir. Uh, I know that. Are those your fingerprints? Yes, sir. They're the sergeants, Washington says, General. Now, now how could that be? Well, sir, they have to be me. Uh, he's me. I, I mean, I'm... Uh, I'm us, I mean, sir. Uh, Colonel... Has this man ever demonstrated... Uh, uh, has he... Uh, has he... Uh, I mean, has he ever had attacks before? No, sir. He's always been rational, sir. He's one of my best men. He's rational now, General. That is, I think he is. Kind of, I mean. Uh, Sergeant, do you know that a board may be convened and that they're liable to throw you right out of the army? Sir, I'm not worried about that. Oh, you're not, huh? Why not? Because... They can't, sir. I, I have to stay in. Kindly tell me why. Because, well, don't you see, sir, I'm going to be a major and I'm going to fly a rocket plane. The XF-131. What makes you think so? Well, I'm here, sir, after all. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to solve this problem once and for all in a military manner. Major Westlake, you are subject to orders, aren't you? Yes, sir, of course. And I want this to be a lesson to you other officers, too. You gentlemen are expected to use your intelligence and initiative and not come bothering me with all sorts of details that could just as well be handled in your own ballywicks. You understand me? Yes, sir. Silence. That is a very simple way to solve this problem, as I said. Major Westlake, you are ordered to return to your base. Sir, I'm at my base. 
I'm stationed at Muroc Dry Lake. This is Muroc Dry Lake, sir. Well, how did you get here? I flew, sir. Uh, oh, but how did you... I mean, how did you get here now? Sir, I just flew so fast I got here before I started. I didn't ask you, Sergeant. That's right, sir. I flew so fast I got here before I started. Doctor, do you have an aspirin on you? See who that is? Yes, sir. Sir, I found something I thought might be important. Who are you? Sergeant William Terrence, sir. I'm Sergeant of the Guard today. Uh, what have you got there, Sergeant? I don't know what it is, sir, but I found it out there where... Where the major landed? Uh, major Westlake? Yes, sir. Well, let's see it. Let's see it, Sergeant. I never saw anything like it before, sir, and I thought I'd better bring it to the general. May I see that, please? Well? It's my Mac meter, sir. Your what? Mac meter, sir, an instrument that measures speed. Sergeant Westlake, please. Excuse me, sir. That's what it is, General. It measures speed in terms of the speed of sound. Mac 1 is sound speed. Mac 2 is twice the speed of sound. Uh, let's see it. Hmm. Very curious. Yes, very, very curious. All of a sudden, it got jammed, General. You see the needle is jammed way over here on the pin? It indicated probably 12 times the speed of sound, and that was awful fast, so I bailed out. Uh, see if I can't unjam the needle. Uh, there's a ratchet underneath, sir. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, hmm. <laughs> it's like a speedometer, isn't it? Uh, it turns hard. Ah, oh, there. Hey. Where did Major Westlake go? Why, he was right here. I saw I him. I seen him, here. sir. I was looking right at him. When you turned the, the thing meter back, he just turned all transparent, and then he disappeared. What? Sir, I think the general just unscrewed him right back where he came from. That was it. The general turned the Mac meter backward, and that's all. But I'd like to never get out of all that snafu. Well, I'm a captain now, and it's only nine more years, and I'll be a major. And I'll fly an XF-131 here at Muroc, and my Mac meter will go haywire, and... My gosh, have I... Have I got to go through all that again? The title of today's Quiet Please story is One for the Book. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper, and the man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Dan Sutter played Sergeant Parent. Melville Ruick was a colonel. The doctor was played by Charles Eggleston. General, Floyd Buckley. As for Major Westlake, well, we leave that for a guess. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now, for a word about next week, here is our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet, please. My story for next week is called My Son Jock. And so, until next week at the same time, I'm quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Stay tuned for My Friend Irma, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for My Friend Irma, and a program first aired in 1948. Folks, later we'll announce the winners of the first Lever Fur Contest. But now, Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Our friend, Swan, with my friend, Irma. <laughs> 
Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. Theirs will still be hot. I'm a girl who never says I know all the answers, but with all modesty, I figure I know my way around. Then suddenly my roommate Irma Peterson comes out with one of her remarks, and mother, I'm back at the lost and found department again. (laughs) Take a classic example like last night. When I came home, I found Irma peering into a large kettle of water in which she dumped a bag of pretzels. Well, that stopped me, so I said, Honey, why are you soaking those pretzels? And Irma said, I couldn't buy any pretzel sticks, so I'm trying to straighten these out. (laughs) For a minute, I was tempted to do the same thing to her. But, knowing Irma, I just forgot the whole thing. Anyway, that was last night. Tonight, I'm going through some letters that have accumulated in the desk. Jane! Dear Jane, just a line to let you... Hmm? What, honey? Why do you save all your old letters? Well, they're mostly from relatives, and since I don't see my relatives very often, it sort of makes me feel they're right here visiting with me. Oh, I know what you mean, Jane. I still have all my old report cards. From school? Yes, they always used to kid me. When I was in school, they said I'd never get out of there unless it burned down. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get out? It burned down. <laughs> me very much about your relatives. Well, honey, there isn't much to tell. Most of my family live in New England. They're fairly successful. My father had a drugstore, and and my mother's just like all mothers, a little beyond the descriptive power of words. Gee, I can still see us on Thanksgiving. You know, Mom would make a turkey, and we'd all gather around and help her stuff it. Gee, gee, it makes me homesick. It's the same way at our house. Mother would bake a cake and Oh, we'd all gather around and help her try to lift it out of the oven. (laughs) You know, honey, while we're on the subject of families, it's just occurred to me that you've been going with Al for quite some time and you know nothing of his background. Come to think of it, I don't. Did he ever mention any brothers or sisters? No. In fact, he never even mentioned a mother or father. (laughs) He's probably an only child. (laughs) Yeah. Came out of an egg. (laughs) You know, Irma, I I get kind of disgusted with you sometimes. Now, here is a man with whom you're contemplating marriage, and you know nothing about him. Remember, honey, when you marry a man, you marry his family. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. (laughs) Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little rooftops, one with a loose shingle. (laughs) Why, Professor? Uh, excuse me, a little joke I picked up from a carpenter. <laughs> well, what's new, Jamie? Oh, Professor, I'm having another one of my sessions with Irma. You see, I'm trying to convince her that it's important that she find out about Al's family as long as she's got matrimony on her mind. Oh, sure, Irma. Jane is right. It's very important that you know the background of the person you intend to marry. You know, there are two things that shape a man's character. Heredity and environment. Well, I don't know what they mean. That's simple. Heredity is like when you say, his father was a bum and he's a bum. 
such environment. That's when you come from a house full of bombs. <laughs> of course, Thelma. I know sometimes it's hard to trace a man's origin. Take me. I can't tell you where I was born because I don't know. Why not? When I was a little baby, I was found by a band of gypsies. For 12 years, I lived in a cave. It was dark and wet and cold. Oh, that's terrible. What do you mean terrible? I live better then than I do now upstairs. <laughs> but fortunately, I turned out to be a charming fellow. <laughs> well, I think Al is all right, and I don't want to private... Pry into his private life. Come in. Hello, girls. Oh, it's you, Mrs. O'Reilly. Come on in. Oh, there you are, Professor. Jenny, hold her back. Why? What, what? What? What's wrong? What happened? Oh, I don't mind a little kidding about me age, but this time the professor's gone too far. Look at the note I found under my door. Let me see. Yesterday was Washington's birthday, so I must stick to the facts. When Washington chopped down the cherry tree, tell me, Mrs. O'Reilly, did you hand him the axe? <laughs> oh, Professor. Well, you tell her to leave me alone. One minute she flirts with me, and the next she nags me for the rent. I don't want to have anything to do with her for love or money. Oh, you! No, 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 please, the two of you, now, now, hush. Uh, look, Irma, to get back to Al and his family... Oh, it's no use talking. I'm not going to ask Al about his family background. Oh, but you should, me darling. I remember when I was a young girl. Oh, it seems like yesterday. <laughs> Believe me, Mrs. O'Reilly, it's been a long day in between. <laughs> Go on with you. What I'm trying to say is that one day I met a policeman on a horse. <gasps> what a beautiful animal. In two weeks we were married. <laughs> Where did you go on your honeymoon? Santa Anita? <laughs> now listen here, you. I don't mind your picking on me, but I'm trying to explain to Irma how important a man's family is. Sure, sweetie. We're just doing it for your own good. If Al was half a man, he'd tell you about himself. Well, Jane, don't be ridiculous. If he was half a man, he'd be too short for me. <laughs> oh, that must be Al. Come in. Hello, Jane. Hi, chicken. Hello, Al, honey. We were just running along, Al. Come on, Mrs. O'Reilly. I got a surprise for you. Surprise? Certainly. I'll show you the new window the wind put in my wall. <laughs> Goodbye, girls. Sorry they went. Wanted to tell them about my new deal. Oh, no. Another one of your deals? What is it this time, Al? Putting feathers on frogs and selling them for squabs? <laughs> oh, no. Nothing so amateurish. Got one a little off the beaten track. It's a special jacket for suspicious characters. So when a cop says, stick them up, a skirt falls down, he ain't got the nerve to frisk you. Gosh, Jane, wasn't it lucky? Wasn't I lucky to, to hook a fellow like Al? I'm not so sure. I'd like to see the ones that got away. <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to take a shower. Uh, honey, where's my shower cap? Oh, I lent it to Professor Kropotkin. It rained last night. Oh, it's grand. Well, I won't wet my hair. I'll just stand on my head. Caustic character. Well, Chicken, what are we waiting for? Let's you and I take over the sofa. No, Al, I, I don't sit on the sofa with strangers. 
Stranger? Chicken, what are you talking about? Al, I don't know anything about you. Chicken, do you like the way I put my arms around you? Yes. You like the way I kiss you? The way I let you sit on my lap? Yes. And how can you say you don't know anything about me? That's beside the point. A man's lap has nothing to do with his background. <laughs> Chicken, I don't get it. Al, before I let you kiss me, I- I'd like to know something about your family tree. Chicken, I don't like this question. Shows a lack of trust. And true love can only exist on mutual confidence. It's got to be 50-50. What do you mean, 50-50? You don't ask me any questions, I don't give you any answers. <laughs> you get it? Yes, that's 50-50. Okay, chicken, let's get back to the sofa. Oh, Al, we're not making any progress. But getting back to the sofa, to me, that's progress. Well, I insist on knowing about your family. Well, chicken, if nothing else will satisfy you, there's only one man who can help us. Who else? Who else but... Hello, Joe. (laughs) Al, got a problem. Joe, your folks used to know most of my relatives. I- I've been away so long, I kind of forgot. What were they like? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. What else is new, Joe? <laughs> no, no, Joe, thanks. You don't have to give me the visiting days. Them joints give me the chills. <laughs> hey, goodbye, Joe. Well, did you find out anything about your family? Joe didn't know a thing. Then what were you saying about visiting days? Uh... They're all expecting babies. Al, you're not fooling me. You don't want me to know about your family. Look, chicken, can't we discuss this some other time? I got to meet the boys. So I think I'll be running along. Chicken, ain't you going to kiss me? No, Al. You have no sisters, no brothers, no cousins or uncles, no one to identify you. How do I know it's you? (laughs) No, Al. Goodbye. Well, if that's the way you feel, where's my coat? Goodbye. Grandma! Well, honey, you're crying. Where's Al? Gone! Oh, sweetie. Well, don't cry, sweetie. He'll be back. Oh, gee, it's all my fault. I shouldn't have insisted in finding out about his past. After all, you love the guy, and I... Irma, what's that envelope on the floor by your feet? Envelope? Oh, this? Yeah. Is it yours? No. Oh, gee, it has Al's name on it. Maybe he left me a note. I'll read it. Yeah, honey, honey, if it's addressed to Al, you shouldn't read his mail. It... sweetie. It's a letter to Al from another woman. It says, Dear baby, I just read your last letter and it brought back those tender moments when I held you in my arms. (laughs) Jane, I hate him. I hate him. Oh, honey, let me see that letter. Elizabeth, New Jersey. Oh, so that's her name. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he can have Miss Jersey. (laughs) 
heart is broken. Just broken. I've never seen her so upset since the night she thought Al called her an animal because he invited her to the Elks' dinner. (laughs) Anyway, now she's convinced that Al is leading a double life, and since, in a way, I'm kind of responsible for the turn of events, I've decided to get to the bottom of this whole affair, and I've phoned Al to come right over. Come in. Oh, Janie. Where's Irma? She went out. Al? I want to start off by telling you that I think you are the lowest type of cad there is. And that your despicable behavior is only equaled by your unmitigated, low-down, conniving methods. Look, Jane, if you call me down here just for a character analysis... Uh, (laughs) Al, how could you do such a horrible thing? What horrible thing? Well, all right, I'll come to the point. Who is this other woman you've been running around with? Other woman? Jane, what kind of a dope do you take me for? I love Irma. Now, listen, Al, you're not playing with children. Take a look at this letter. Irma found it. Let me see. My darling baby. Oh, so that's where I lost it. Jane, this is part of a letter my mother wrote to me. Your mother? You have a mother? (laughs) Well, sure I got a mother. How do you think I got here? War surplus? I got a mother in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Well, why have you been keeping it a secret? I can understand your mother not wanting it to get around, but I... uh, (laughs) But but surely Irma should know. Well, I know, Jane, but it's a pretty delicate situation. You see, I'm all my mom has got in this world, and, well, I've been sort of pulling a little wool over her eyes. You mean she thinks you're working? Uh, More than that. I told her I'm a big success. See, I sent her half my unemployment check, and... With the little that Pop left her, she gets by okay. And I'd rather die than disillusion her. Yeah, but, but Al, doesn't she question the fact that you only send her $10 if you're so important? Well, she did. But I explained that if I didn't practice thrift, I would never have become president of General Motors Corporation. <laughs> Al, how could you ever get your mother to believe that? Oh, I had Joe print up these letterheads. Yeah, let me see. General Motors Corporation. Assets, $60 million. President, Al. Address, main office, general delivery, box 42, New York City. Oh, Al. You think I'm a crumb, huh, Jane? No. No, Al, I, I, I think I kind of like you a little more than I did five minutes ago. I wouldn't want you to hurt your mother. Oh, thanks, Jane. I figured you'd understand. Yeah, but I'm the smallest part of your problem, Al. Irma is certain you're carrying on with another girl, and there's only one way to clear the whole thing up. Oh. Invite your mother over here so we can meet her. Then Irma will see for herself. Well, I want Mom to meet Irma, but I'm afraid she might learn the truth about me, and that'd break her heart. Yeah, but don't worry, Al. I'll back you up in everything you say. When I'm finished, your mother will think you own the Taj Mahal. Okay, Jane, I'll call her up and have her here in an hour. Good, Al, that'll be fine. I'm sure Irma will have finished committing suicide by then and she'll be back. (laughs) Right, Jane. And look, whatever you do, no remarks about me being unemployed. Oh, no, no. Uh, But, but Al, how how about your suit? How will you explain all those creases? Looks like it's been pressed in a mix master. (laughs) Oh, uh, I always tell Mom I don't have time to go to the bank and my pockets are full of stocks and bonds. Come right in. Hello, Amber. Irma, what are you 
doing up here in the Bronx? Oh, Amber, I'm in the dumps. Look, dearie, this place is just as good as where you live. <laughs> I didn't mean that, Amber. Oh. Amy, you're crying. Oh, Amber, it's happened. I'm miserable. That can only mean one thing. You got married. <laughs> oh, no, no, Amber. I never want to look another man in the face, and his name is Al. What happened, dearie? My Al's a two-timer. He's been going out with another woman. Oh, it's the same old story. You never can trust a man. And if you do find one you can trust, he ain't worth trusting. <laughs> well, Amber, I'm so disappointed. I always thought my Al was different from other men. Well, he is different. He don't work. <laughs> Say, how did you find out about this other woman, Irma? I found a letter from her. Oh, Amber, it's so hard to believe. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe maybe Al can explain it somehow. Dearie, they all have alibis. He'll give you some line like, uh, like it was his dear old mother. <laughs> well, don't fall for it. So many guys have used that excuse when they two-time me that for a while I thought every day was Mother's Day. <laughs> I love him, and and I'd like to give him a, a chance to explain. I, I know he wouldn't pull that old mother line on me. Well, go ahead and find out. Cool him up. I think I will, and I'll show him. Just for that, I won't tell him about that extra unemployment check waiting for him. Hello? Hello, Albert? Chicken! I've been trying to reach you. Don't you chicken me, you... you... Amber, is this a party line? Yeah. Al, someday if you ever call me on a private wire, I'll tell you what I think of you. No, no, wait a minute, Irma. I can explain. That letter you found is from my mother. Your mother? Amber, you were right. Chicken, I don't know what you're mumbling about, but I'm bringing my mother to your apartment in an hour. So you'll be there to meet her, huh? Goodbye. Well, dearie, he says it's his mother. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but Al is bringing over to my apartment to meet me. Huh? He's probably having his girlfriend dress up like an old lady just to fool you. If I were you, the minute I got in the door, I'd grab her wig and pull it right off. No, I'm still a lady, Amber. I just want to tell Al what I think of him, that's all. Yeah, well, well, well just tell him he's a, he's a 20th century bluebeard with the spine of a jellyfish, and you've had your fill of his line, and that somewhere there's a man who'd like to meet a nice blonde like you. Thanks, Amber. I'll try to remember. And look, Irma, don't worry about losing that guy, Al. You can always get a fell up here in the Bronx. They may not be Noel Coward, but to me, pants is pants. <laughs> Come in. Hello, Jane. I'd like to have you meet my mother. Just call her Mom. Oh, I'm very glad to know you, Mom. Come on in. Make yourself comfortable. Thank you, Jane. Albert has told me all about you. Where's Irma? Oh, she'll be here shortly. I, I, I was just about to have some tea. You join me? Oh, thank you. I drink as much tea as I can. You see, I feel that it helps Albert. Helps Albert? Yes, it comes from India. And Albert tells me he has a place there called the Taj Mahal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> 
Well, Mom, I, I'm, uh, I'm surprised I haven't met you before, but I don't suppose you come to Manhattan very often. No, I don't like to bother my Albert. You see, I'm just a little old lady, and my son is so busy and so important. After all, it takes time to run a big business like General Motors and General Electric. <laughs> Excuse me. Did you say General Motors and General Electric? Certainly. He also owns General Mills. <laughs> but he doesn't talk about that. That's just for pin money. Yes, I understand. I keep telling Albert he shouldn't work so hard. After all, one million more or less, what does it matter? Your health comes first. Ah, oh, ma. <laughs> well, I guess it's better than having a son who's lazy and un unambitious. Why, I understand some men never work at all. They just sit around and collect unemployment checks every week. But not my Albert. <clears throat> Excuse me. It got kind of hard to swallow. The tea, that is. As you were saying, I suppose uh, men like that are pretty low. Yes, but thank goodness my Albert is different. I was so afraid he'd be like his father, Albert Sr. He never worked? No, he was always working on some kind of a deal, but never made a nickel. <laughs> Married 30 years and didn't start to support me until after he passed away. <laughs> uh, well, that's life. Insurance. I, uh, I wonder what's keeping chicken. Oh, I'm so anxious to meet her, Jane. She must be a wonderful girl, judging by the way Albert always describes her in his letters. Has she got a good head on her shoulders? Uh, well, she has a pretty head on her shoulders. But is she smart? Uh, well, she's, uh, uh... Oh, here, here's Irma right now. <laughs> Hello, honey. Hi, uh, chicken. Al, you are a 20th century fish and I've filled up with jelly. And there are plenty of men who would like a blonde girl with a blue beard. <laughs> Hold it, chicken. Irma, this is my mother. Oh, yeah. Irma! Please, I'm not so dumb. Oh, I'm glad. They kept avoiding that question. <laughs> Al, who do you think you're kidding? Uh, what's new, Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Irma, listen, listen. This is Al's mother. She comes from Elizabeth, New Jersey. You... Oh, you mean... Oh... Oh, Al... I'm so ashamed, I... Oh, well, Irma, it's gotcha. very hard for most people to believe that a plain little lady like me could be the mother of such an important man. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Forget bygones, Irma. All right, and... Oh, and to think I was so angry. Why, I wasn't going to tell you that there's an extra check for you at the unemployment office. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, uh, no, yes, you, you, you see, yes, they, they wanted Al to, to, to check on, on how many men he needs for his new, uh, uh, magnesium plant. <laughs> I think it was, um, 65,000. A magnesium plant? So many men. Uh, but, but yes, to, uh, to, to milk all them cows. <laughs> I'm gonna make milk of magnesium. Let's all go out and have dinner, shall, shall we? Oh, that's a great idea, but, but it's got to be on me, understand? 
Uh, understand? No, no, Al, no. You've been treating us to so many parties on your yacht and, uh, and, and taking us to theaters and banquets and everything, and, and I insist on paying. Well, I'll give in this time. <laughs> this song won't make you class conscious. Here's my arm, Mother. Here's your ten dollars, Al. Let's go. dinner, and it's really a wonderful family gathering. Irma is terribly happy because she's just turned to the mother of the president of General Motors, General Electric, and General Mills and Points West and said, Please don't worry, mother. When Al and I get married, you're not losing a son. You're gaining a wife. (laughs) And you know, if that makes sense to you, you're no better off than my friend Irma. My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Folks, next Monday evening, listen again to... Our Friend Swan. With my friend Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. The part of Professor Kropotkin was played by Hans Conried. Ladies, listen. The shortage of fats and oils is still very serious, and it's worldwide. So please keep on saving every drop of used kitchen fat. Your butcher will pay you for every pound. Frank Bingman speaking. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.